Welcome to the Gateways Beyond Cyprus podcast, featuring weekly teaching from our Discipleship Training School. For more information, please visit us online at gbcy.org. It's very interesting. We start and then we go on a little journey here because, and everything that's been said is true. And uh, it's, any, any other thoughts about holy? Be, why, I mean, did you know that in the Bible it says, you shall be holy? For I, the Lord, am holy. And we're like, well, we don't know what that means, you know. So we think it means not do anything bad. Um, but subtraction never makes our life full, right? So there, there must be something that not just the absence of sin and, and sin roughly, you know, a nice non-religious word for sin is selfishness because every time we make a selfish decision... I can guarantee it misses the mark. You know, sin is like that we all have our bows and arrows we're, and we're aiming at the target and we miss the bullseye. That's what sin is. It's, it's that which is less than what God is or different than what God is. And so, so th- here's just without taking too long, but the, the Hebrew word translated holy in the Old Testament, kadosh, and is and the angels cried kadosh 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 when Isaiah saw them kadosh has this idea that it's outside the natural order so it's supernatural you know it's pure it's shining sinless good you know intensely good but that it it's so good it's not part of the natural order so, when this is what, when we're praying, God, I want to know this myself. May your name be sanctified in me, in my family, in the people around me, in my community, in the world, you know, so, may, so that it would be known that it, so basically, it's like praying for heaven to be opened up and seen and comprehended by earth. And then, What's really great is the, the Greek word for holy is, um, and you see it all around here, you know, there's a village up the highway a little bit called Ayas Mamas, and, uh, you know, and there's, so that Ayas or Hagios, if you're from Texas or something, but you might, that, that's how I first heard it pronounced, you know, I'm a new Christian, people are saying these foreign words, I don't know what they mean, you know, but, but this concept of hios has to do again that it's sinless pure you know uh, brilliant all this stuff but that it's separate from the ordinary and so it's extraordinary you know now i'm i lost the cap of the blue pen and i don't want the blue pen to Oh, thank you. It's the black pen. Well, no wonder I couldn't find it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I didn't want it to dry out. But so at, when God says, I want you to be holy as I'm holy, it's not just that you don't do anything bad, but it's that there's something supernatural in your life that's outside the natural order. So I just prophesy that there will be miraculous deliverances 
and provisions and guidance for you and that you'll go someplace and God will go before you. And that when you leave a place, the glory of the Lord will be left behind you as your rear guard. That's, and it's not because, you know, if you try extra hard and you're like really good boys and girls and you say, God, I haven't done anything wrong. That's good. But that's not why he'll do that. Why he'll do that is because you're his sons and daughters. Why he'll do that is you bear his name. <laughs> okay. Anyway, just some thoughts. May your name be, may your kingdom come. And we were talking about it yesterday and I we got I got off on a very long tangent on righteousness, sedekah and peace, shalom and joy. That's the kingdom. Romans 14:17. It's and it's in the Holy Spirit or it's by or through the Holy Spirit. But but so righteousness is that intense loyalty and that everything is good between us. You know, so Joseph was a righteous man and he couldn't bring himself to punish Mary and to have her destroyed. So he was willing to give up his own reputation to maintain the relationship. And, and so when wherever you go, Jacob, God actually really likes you all the time. Even if, it, and so this is what's, like if we do something bad or stupid, not that Jacob ever would, but I did lots of bad and stupid things. God actually really liked me all the time. He's righteous toward you. He's made covenant with you. This is the kingdom. And we express, we, we demonstrate the righteousness of God by our loyalty and affection and willingness to, you know, to not break relationship. Righteousness, peace. Peace is everything's there that you need. Peace is, you know, all his thoughts toward you are peace. All his plans toward you are success. I mean, you know, Shalom is the conditions of Eden. For you, everything is available. It's amazing. For you, whatever God tells you to do, no matter how impossible it seems, God will provide for you to accomplish your assignment. That's peace. And joy, because there's joy in his presence. in his presence is fullness of joy it's like absolute intense joy so how do I know if the kingdom of God is in my heart that in my heart there's there's righteousness like I don't want to do anything that breaks my the significant relationships in my life first with God then with my family then with the people around me I don't want to misrepresent the name of the Lord. This is righteousness. Shalom is that I don't have this thought that I can barely get by, but I have this idea that if God has told me to do something, he'll make a way and the provision will come. 
but I walk by faith, not by sight. So sometimes I don't wait until the provision comes. Sometimes I say, I know God has told me this. I step into it, and then the provision comes. And then, and that, and peace is that, I mean, it's not just in the realm of, of actual, like, provision of, of resources like money or that thing, but it's also that, that in shalom, there's, there's nothing broken. There's nothing broken. There's no broken relationships. There's no broken, uh, you know, my dead dreams still live. You know, the things that have been destroyed come back to life. God restores the conditions of Eden in my life. That's peace and then joy is that I carry his presence and out of my life his joy shines okay now quickly the will of God this is so may your will be done may it be accomplished may it be finished so could anyone here make a brief statement of what the will of God is how many okay how many of you before we answer that question how many of you want to know what the will of God is. Good. Okay, everybody wants to know what the will of God is. Um, I'm going to tell you, the will of, you're going to really like the will of God. Like, whatever the will of God is for your life, you're going to like it. It may, but could any, do you know what the will of God is in a way that you could just say it? Anybody feels like I can say what the will of God is? There's no bad answers there. So, okay. Yep, go ahead, Allison. All good things. Oh, all good things is the will of God. I like that. Hmm. For, for relationships, yeah. Very good. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes we're seeking a specific decision. You know, like I remember um, I, after, I became a, after I'd been a Christian for one year, I went to a Bible college in Santa Cruz, California. And this was all foreign to me. And almost everybody in the Bible college, I thought they would all be spiritual giants, but most of them were just kids from churches whose parents wanted them to go to this Christian college, you know. So I, I thought they were all going to be like holy, holy men, holy women, and it wasn't the case. But once I got over my shock, uh, th- then I, st- I got in these classes where everybody had, had like read the Bible their whole life, and I was still finishing I did I had finished the Bible but just reading the Bible through once doesn't mean that you know everything that's in it so I always felt behind but I thought well I'm just going to pursue God and and go after presence and we found a church that was full of people that are kind of like the the culture here you know they just wanted to see people come to the Lord they believed in miracles healings got prophetic words that was all normal the supernatural was natural in that environment but when something would happen like my my Greek or this guy that was the main Greek professor at this college taught one class and he um, and he caught me after class and he said you should take Greek and I said why 
you know, I'm just trying to still read the whole Bible. I don't need to read Greek. He says, oh, well, it, you know, he, he said it'll be like having a color TV instead of a black and white TV or all, all those things. This was 1973. And, and so then I said, well, will it make me a better Christian? And he said, because when you're young, you can be religious without knowing it, you know. So I said, well, will it make me more like Jesus, you know. And he looked at me and said, I don't know. So then I thought, well, I'm not going to waste my time taking Greek. And so the next summer I was praying and saying, God, you know, just I want to know which courses to sign up for. And and I wanted, uh, my courses I was interested in was evangelism, missions, and and the Lord said, I want you to take Greek. And I thought, oh, man, I have to take Greek. And I, I heard him say, I want you to take Greek. So when it was the sign-up day for classes, this was a small college, so they had tables where you went and signed up for classes. And if the class was full, you couldn't sign up. So I walked over to the Greek table after I'd had this. I kind of insulted this teacher because he was sort of weird in my in my immature opinion and he <laughs> he was he was an unusual man and so i walked over and he, and he looked up and saw me and he said what are you doing here i said oh, the lord told me to take greek so <laughs> he got a big smile on his face so then i became i was the best greek student in his class so hooray <laughs> so anyway i did it with all my heart but Here's, you know, that's like the specific will of God in a small situation. But always the will of God, we can know the will of God. That's what, and you guys are giving some good thoughts here. And here's where you can find the general will of God for every situation and every believer, okay? And it's, it's so simple. Okay, um, and you're going to find the will of God. And this will make you happy because it's not hard to know the will of God. Anybody get there in their Bible? They want to read it out loud? It's taking a long time to get there. Oh, great. Okay. Yes. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. How about that, huh? Okay. So, so rejoice, pray, and give thanks. <laughs> so that sounds, well, I do all those things. But this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, obviously, so when, when, I, when I pray this prayer, I'm praying, God, I want, I want righteousness, peace, and joy. I want it in my mind. I want it in my heart. I want it in my words. I want it in my actions. And, I, and I'll kind of unpack those. Likewise, God, I, I want to rejoice. Here's the supernatural part on each of these. This is it. Rejoice always. <laughs> That'll make you holy. <laughs> you know, when you, like, so if I'm depressed, I say, God, I got to, 
I have to find my happy place. So how do I find my happy place? I have to get into his presence because in his presence is fullness of joy. So my lack of joy is the measure of my distance from being in the, the tangible, personal participation in his presence. And so rejoice always. And sometimes, you're, you know, tragedies happen and you're weeping and you're broken and that kind of thing. But there's this weird internal happiness when you've established that you're rejoicing always. So even in this tragedy, you know, God, I know there's going to be good that comes out of this. I know I can't see it, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm moving back toward joy. Um, and then pray without ceasing, sans cesse. Uh, it, it, without ceasing, how on earth can you do that? You walk around speaking in tongues all the time. You know, it, you go into the grocery store, you know, and people just be looking at you like, man. now there's nothing, if you are in a grocery store or any other kind of store or restaurant and you want to speak in tongues, go ahead and see what happens. I mean, if, <laughs> I mean, if you feel like it's the Lord, you know, maybe something amazing is going to happen. But generally, if you just do it all the time, you might be a very strange person socially. And since we're called to righteousness, which is to relate, we're not in our own little bubble. How can I steward praying without ceasing and still be a human being in contact with other human beings? I, you know, here's, here's what, what I, is my meditation is that like, uh, that every breath is a prayer, you know, that every breath just by breathing, I'm praying. And when I wake up in the night, I, I, sometimes I'll just do the Jesus prayer. As I exhale, I'm thinking this prayer, it doesn't have to come out of my lips if I don't want to wake people up around me, but I'm just singing, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have, and then when I inhale, have mercy on me. <sighs> you know, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Or sometimes I exhale, I'm thinking, I love you. And I inhale his love and his mercy. And I exhale, you know, whatever you're processing, like it maybe you've, you've had a bad attitude, you've said something wrong, you've done something wrong. So then you're just, you just breathe out, God. You breathe in, I receive your love. You breathe out, I give you my sin. I, I breathe in, I receive your forgiveness. You breathe out, thank you. Or you breathe in, you love me. You breathe out, I love you. You know, and all of this is just kind of that you just stay in that place where you're, you're aware of him. And, uh, you know, sometimes when people really like each other, they don't have to talk all the time, right? You know, like if people are really close, sometimes just being together is like, we're, you know, wordless love. And so I, I think we can pray without words. That's what I'm 
trying to illustrate, you know. And so my my goal in praying without ceasing is that I'm I'm never not aware of his presence. Yes, Rosetta. What's the definition? What is the definition of prayer? That's a good question. Um, yeah, prayer is what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, communication is prayer. All all communication is prayer. So, sometimes we think prayer is just prayer requests, and prayer requests are important. Like God, I need this, you know, and we're talking to him. And he knows what we need before we tell him, but he's waiting for us to talk about it. The But not all prayer is is supplication, you know, which supplication is where we're asking, and we're interceding, we're holding someone else. But prayer is, I love you. Prayer is, you're there, you know, I'm here. It's like, so that kind of communication can be wordless and so that's when Paul is saying pray without ceasing maybe in a community context you know like you could set up a 24-7 prayer uh, community which I've been trying to do for many years and we have a lot of the week covered but we still haven't gotten 24-7 and I I talked to Mike Bickle about it a couple years ago and he he said he he said hey tell me what's going on in Harrisburg so I told him I said well we're still working on 24 he said no don't do that it's the hardest thing on earth unless God you know unless somebody this is literally what he said he said unless someone's holding a gun to your head and saying you have to do this don't do it he says we have struggled for years you know Saturdays are the worst and 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 if we didn't have students we could never get the night watch covered and so I thought well <laughs> thanks Mike that's a big encouragement it actually was an encouragement but I and because just being around Mike is an encouragement he's a very happy person because he spends his life in this kind of uh, communication with God but so prayer without ceasing whether we accomplish it on a community-wide level which is probably more likely you can do it for a few days than for endlessly but you you know it's just a goal I'm, I want to be in the will of God I'm just like in communication I'm happy and then this will really make you holy <laughs> if you can give thanks in everything because <laughs> some really bad things happen you know so um, this is not normal and it's not part of the natural order it's not ordinary but if you just say god i thank you for this even in my biggest disappointment you know like i come and i'm i'm sad and i say god thank you for this somehow you're here you're god you're going to deliver me you're going to whatever it is and what's amazing is when we give thanks to God, it brings us into his presence. Like when I say thank you, it opens the, the gates. Psalm 100, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. And then we enter his courts with praise. So what does a gate do? A gate, there's a gate down there at the end of that walkway what does a gate do yeah 
it separates, doesn't it? Like if you, if you have cattle in a field, you have a gate to keep the cattle in, <laughs> to keep the rustlers out. You know that rustlers are people who steal cattle, in case that's a, an unfamiliar word. But the, <laughs> the um, so gates, I'm in one place, and I go through the gate, and I'm in another place. So when I say thank you, thank you is such a powerful word. You know, thank you. It's one of the first thing parents teach their kids. You know, they give them, what do you say? <laughs> okay, don't, I'm not going to give it to you. You know, <laughs> what do you say? And we teach children to say thank you because it's part of, of making them human. It's like one of the first steps of, of, of being in the image of God because God is full, God is always full of thanks. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's thank you from God, you know. So we enter, so this is psychologists or brain scientists. I don't know if they were psychologists or, or neuroscientists, but they've measured that when someone says thank you, there's a small release of a chemical in the brain that begins to change the mood of the brain toward joy. And if you say thank you enough, you build the structures of holiness into your brain. It, this is an amazing thing. When you, what you say um, develops neuron structures in your brain. Your brain doesn't just sit there, but your brain is changing to carry the messages of the things that you think about all the time. So why do, we, why do we meditate on the word day and night? Why do we, you know, God told Joshua, Joshua, let this word never depart from your mouth. <laughs> you know, but meditate on it day and night. And meditate isn't like when I was in Eastern religions, meditation was to like, I'm trying to think about nothing, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to think about the sound of one hand clapping. I'm trying to, you know, all, and the, the concept of like a Buddhist style meditation or Hindu style meditation is that I'm, I'm trying to empty my mind. And so it might be like following my breath, all of these things. And, and not all of this stuff is horrible. Some of it's great, great way of calming down and that kind of stuff. But Biblical meditation is that we find a promise and we just keep rehearsing it. You know, we keep rehearsing it. And so we can speak it. But one of the, it, the, the Hebrew word to meditate, Psalm 1, uh, you know, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, is he meditates on the word day and night. This this Hebrew word meditation, this is Bible meditation, means it could mean mumble, like, you know, I, I'm going to mumble here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. And then you, you work with it. Well, if I shall not want, that means there's no want. There's no lack in my life. Yahweh, l'eternel, the infinite creator of the universe is my personal shepherd Therefore, <laughs> there's no lack 
in my life. You know, that's biblical meditation is I'm working with it. And one of the, one of the ways it's translated is growling like a lion over its prey. So in other words, I have this promise from God and here it is and I'm, I'm eating it and I'm going to make it mine. Like a lion that has killed a gazelle and the lion's just starting to eat the gazelle and, you know, some other animals come up and what does the lion do? He goes, ah, ah, ah. He, You know, the lion is roaring, he's growling over his prey because it's his. And so when we meditate in the word of God, we're just, we're, we get excited about it. You know, we're, I, my grandchildren, my, my younger daughter has four kids and seven, 12 chickens and, uh, <laughs> that, that, uh, and, uh, two dogs and an awesome husband. <laughs> and, and anyway, they have a great life and they have a, a nice swimming pool, and the chickens come into the house and lay eggs. I mean, not all of them, but a few of them, there's a certain chair one will go to. And she, and, they, and I think, Anna, this is crazy. You know, it's an expensive house, and these chickens come in. And <laughs> Anyway, so one of their dogs is a, is a, a Weimaraner. You know, our Weimaraners are mouthy dogs. They're, they, they, bite a lot you know especially when they're puppies they get they're really cute when they're little they have blue eyes and photographers take pictures of them they're intelligent dogs but they um they came from the weimar uh region of germany but the weimariner uh is was bred to get animals and hold them with their mouth that's that they were a hunting dog and so and they're good, and they bought the dog just to keep their house safe because they live in South Florida, where where there's a lot of people that break into houses, and so he's a scary dog. And uh, so his name is uh, Chester. And so when Chester was little, he was cute, and then he got big, but he was still a puppy. And when you'd come, he would jump up on you. He's all excited, and he would always say hi with his teeth, you know. And sometimes I would bleed. And I said, thanks, Chester. Now Chester's actually kind of depressed because they've trained him, trained him, trained him that he's the last in the pecking order. But um, <laughs> in the whole family, you know, because otherwise he would bullied the kids. He had bullied the little kids like he would feel like he was bigger than they were. So he and so anyway, but one day Chester, now he's a little better, but when he would eat, you didn't want to get close to his dish because he would bite you. And uh, one day they had this other small furry dog named Watson. Um, <laughs> and Watson came over to, while Chester was eating and he just happened to walk by the bull and Chester bit uh, um, Watson on the head and actually cracked his skull. And... Uh, Anyway, he didn't die, which was good. Chester's been, that's part of why Chester's the, at the bottom of the pecking order now. He's like, even, like <laughs> because now Watson is charging him. But Watson, Watson lived, okay. But Chester was meditating over his food, and he wasn't going to let anybody take it from him. So 
I encourage you when you find promises from God that you you go after them. And so this is the will of God that you would give thanks in everything and it will, I'm telling you, it'll make you holy. Okay, end of story. How are we doing? Good. Um, last thing, because I want, I want to go a different direction, but <laughs> it's like, then what do we, we, so now we've got may your name be holy, may your kingdom come in my life, in my heart, in my mind, in my family, in my town, and may, and it's just a great way to pray for situations and things like, God, I pray for righteousness, peace, and joy in this group, in this city, in this business, in this negotiation, in this thing. And God, um, peace includes provision, you know, peace. And, and then I'm praying that, that your will will be done in our family. I'm praying that, that not just me, but everyone around me will, will, will rejoice. So they'll just come into your presence and experience joy that, that, that I'll, I'll stay in prayer, that the people, you know, my friends will stay in prayer, they'll stay in communion with you, that, that our, we would always be giving thanks. We would never be complaining. See, complaining is the language of the devil, you know? I mean, it's like, it really is. It, I mean, sometimes, so I remember this every time I'm on the phone with, you know, like an airline or I'm dealing with some, you know, some tech support or something or I'm dealing with a person, I say, I'm, stay happy, Charles. Stay happy. They, you know, give them a good day. Don't give them a bad day. <laughs> so, so, and sometimes things happen uh, you know, and, and sometimes companies have stupid policies and sometimes there's stupid laws and stupid everything. But I, I've ju- it's part of being holy is you train yourself not to give them a piece of your natural, you know, carnal mind, but that you're supernatural, you're extraordinary, and that you find a way even in those situations to be an encouragement. Some, anyway, you, we've all been in those situations, so we don't need to illustrate. Okay, the very next one is give us this day what? Okay, give us this day our daily bread. So now we're praying, give us, isn't he, he's a good dad, we're his kids, we just say, give me, dad, give me. No, give us, give us our daily bread. Okay, so what does that mean? Any thoughts on this? Oh, okay. If I learned how to spell, it would be better. Okay, Brad. That was just a... uh, uh, The word, it could be daily bread. Yeah, you could feed off the the word of God. Okay, anything? Provision. Provision, yeah, okay. Word, provision, provision, yeah. And, uh, And so... Why, you know, why, why do we have to ask? Oh, you have something else you'd like to say, Marie? Yeah. Good. It's, it's like daily bread, and just what we did for the day, it's not like weekly bread or daily bread, but in the right proportion. Okay. Yes, that's, I mean, that is all in there. It's all in there. You know, it's all, that it's daily bread, that it's, um, the, there's a very interesting, this, 
is a unique word uh, in, in the Greek New Testament um, that's translated daily. And pe- it could be, um, I mean, it could be in the context of communion, you know, that my, you know, I, I don't live on bread alone, but I need the word of God, the living word of God, the rhema word of God. I need, I need to be in communion with you. I need the, um, this, this particular word, if you were just to, to break it down, it's, I'm, I'm going to use English letters here. It's hyper or hoopo, hoopo, no, hyper, hyper, um, usia, which, okay, even though I'm using English letters. Usia means substance, and hyper means. Oh, I am. I'm. I'm totally mistaken here. Okay, not that this makes it even more confusing. It's epiousia. Okay, it. It's so usia means substance, and epi means upon, and so. No one's quite sure. This is a great Bible verse because we all say this, but we don't know exactly why this, what the context of this daily bread means. So daily bread sounds like I need enough for today. And thank you, the Bible can be understood by children. But when people begin to meditate on it, then they start getting like into mysteries of, oh, it says so much more. So one possibility is, it's upon the substance we need for today. And so a, a friend of mine, Bill Johnson, who most of you have heard of, it's, he, he, his personal take on it is it means like not just the bread for today, but for tomorrow also, that it's more than enough it, because everything God does is done in abundance. Um, the Latin, there's a Latin translation of this that, calls it super, super substantialum, you know, which would kind of mean like it's bread that's beyond the substance of this world. So it'd be the bread of your presence. It'd be the bread um, that's in the the breaking of the bread when it becomes his body. And, um, and, and so all of that, it's just kind of a mystery, but it's like God takes care of us. And I... My simplicity in this uh, for, for myself is just Psalm 23, 1, that nothing will be missing to me that I need because everything in the universe belongs to the creator and to his children. And so everything, all things will work together, all things will synergize to release benefit to you when you need it. You know, so, so literally you can go someplace with nothing. That's why Jesus said, go out and don't take anything with you and discover that the whole universe will, will deliver good to you because you're being called by my purpose you know, your hearts, you love God. See, love, love brings us into this 
fullness of communion with God. You love God, you love the people around you, you're called by my purpose, and you will not lack. I mean, you will have times when we're tested. Paul did. He, he said, sometimes I served the Lord with, with fastings. These were like no food fastings, you know, like not, not because he wanted to. Um, when I was a very young pastor, the first, uh, I had an internship, I told you about it, at this Assembly of God church, which I didn't like, except the pastor was this amazing man of God. And he was only there for a year, and it was while I was there, and then he went to Oregon and had a revival <laughs> in Grants Pass, Oregon, like that lasted for eight years. But the, um, he, so he told me that when he first met the Lord, his dad was an alcoholic logger, um, who worked out in the woods all week and then would come in home, get paid on Friday, get drunk, and would beat his mom. And just, it was a horrible life. And his, and his, his name was Victor Trimmer. So Victor was a great athlete. He was a, he was a f- football team captain, quarterback of his high school football team, despite having, you know, this pain in his personal life and his mom in her brokenness started going to this little Pentecostal church met Jesus everything changed and then Victor came with her he got saved and uh, I can't remember what happened to his dad but Victor uh, you know within a year or two felt like he wanted to preach the gospel and he he never went to a a ministry school but he went to a, a rescue mission in Portland Oregon and he would preach on the street every day. And he administered to drunks. So then uh, he, you know, he, w- he was a, a gifted preacher. And pretty soon a little, little Pentecostal church in Oregon asked him to be the pastor. So he was only like 22 years old. And their parson- they made a, a parsonage, a house for the preacher. And it was a chicken coop that they they cleaned it out and they painted it white and he moved in and they only paid him enough to have food for four days a week. And I said, what'd you do? He said, I fasted three days a week. And, you know, by the time he was 28, he was speaking all over the world and uh, amazing. But I, I just thought, isn't that amazing that sometimes we we think no lack means that, you know, we've got a million dollars in our retirement account and 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 you may you know there's nothing abundance is awesome you know it's it's the blessing of the lord but you can have nothing and yet have all things because everything you need will come to you as you stay in the lord's will i can guarantee it and faith is always that you can't see it yet and you obey and then you obey and you think like, well, now everything's going to be great. No. <laughs> then, then someone says, oh, you need a job? You know, so I, I said, I just wanted God to send me money out of the sky and somebody's offering me this job. Well, I'll take the job, you know. And I mean, God will guide you. But it's just really great to know that he's going to provide for your mission whatever he's called you to. If it's to change the world and you need... Uh, millions, you'll get it. But often we steward our faith first 
and then the increase comes and the multiplication comes and um, and we, you look back and you don't even know how God did it. It's so amazing, and and he but he knows. Okay, so uh, give us this day our daily bread. Any questions about that? So I, I want to pray for you that you'll all get the provision you need to pursue the calling that's on your life. You know that it, that it won't be an issue. It may be an adventure, but it won't be an issue. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Yes, I I think it's it's in all realms. You know, it's in all realms that he, and and sometimes he call he's people. You can, if you want, you can live in real simplicity. Um, that Francis of Assisi who grew up in this fabulously wealthy family. Uh, you know, he he took off his fancy Italian clothes right in the center square of Assisi, Italy, humiliated his father, and he went off, and and his father was against him uh, serving the Lord, so whether that was, he was very young, so it may have not been the most mature thing to do, but he spent the rest of his life just trusting God for provision, and to this day, I have a bunch of friends who are Franciscan, um, Franciscan fathers, and uh, and they love ministering to the poor, and they voluntarily live in poverty, which is different than just being in poverty because you um, you think God is poor, and you, you know that they. I mean, when I, I've talked to them about it, it's just they've said, "Look, we just choose to live this way because we're following in the footsteps of Francis of Assisi." You know, so he's our model, and. I love these guys. They're full of joy. They're full of the presence of God. So I have no complaint. It's not my calling, and uh, and the, but the thing is, God, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow. So th- that there's a prosperity that's spiritual, and there's a prosperity that's natural. And God, um, you know, we always want to have a prosperous soul. And if we have a prosperous soul, the general pattern is that we'll prosper and we'll be in health. And uh, so, any more questions about that? Okay. I, 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 and then, this one's so important. Um, you know, forgive us. Our debts, our trespasses. As we forgive... And so what this teaches us is that the way we change our future is by changing our relationship with the past. See, So forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, different forms. Um, it, it, some French translations say forgive, forgive us our... The, Forgive us our offenses as we forgive those who have offended us. And I, I love that <laughs> because sometimes I think, well, I'm not mad at them, I'm just offended. And uh, so, you know, as I forgive, I'm set free. You know, as I forgive people who've 
Forgiveness is how love responds when it suffered harm. You don't have to forgive someone if they haven't harmed you. But sometimes we get offended at someone. They've harmed us in such a subtle way. We wouldn't say they've harmed us, but if we're carrying an offense, then the that offense will keep us anchored in the past and we can't go forward. So, this is, this is like, if I can't forgive, I can't be joyful. <laughs> if I can't forgive, I can't give thanks in everything because the thing that I'm offended at, I'm not giving thanks for. So when I, I have to forgive, and sometimes if people have hurt you deeply, you have to forgive them about 490 times, 70 times 7. You know, it's like, it's like uh, when we first landed in Pennsylvania, you know, I knew enough that I, I forgave all my friends. I thought, yeah, they were doing their best. They could, but, you know, I would, go out and pray in these mornings because I didn't know anything else to do. I, I was in so much pain. I would, I'd wake up early, not because I was spiritual, just because I couldn't sleep. I'd put on all these layers of clothes because it was really cold. That first winter, it was way below zero. And I would just, I would walk and pray in tongues for one, for one uh, hour. I would walk and pray in tongues in one direction. And then I'd turn around and I would work my way through the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> and, I would, and I'd pray all of these things, you know, and just, and I'd worship God, you know, your name is holy. I'd pray for the world and the kingdom. And, and, then, and, and then I would get to forgive us. And I thought I'd forgiven everybody because I had at least said it. And then, um, and then the next line is, you know, don't lead us into temptation or don't, you know, God, I don't want a big test today, okay? Don't lead us into temptation or testing. Don't lead us, okay, into temptation. In other words, God, I just would like this to be a really happy day without uh, any big trials and Anything that would destroy me, I want you, you know, if you're a recovering heroin addict, you don't need a drug dealer to, to show up because that becomes temptation. When I met the Lord, I, you know, I, my life was so simple. I, I hitchhiked all over America and Canada uh, for a few years. And then right at the time we met the Lord, I had this Volkswagen uh, microbus, but it didn't always work. And so I... I would hitchhike a lot. In those days, hitchhiking was pretty common. And, and I would always pray because I had had a temptation with girls as a young man, which, you know, is a pretty common temptation. And I would always pray. I said, God, I, just, I pray nobody picks me up today while I'm hitchhiking that would cause me temptation. You know, nobody, like I don't need to get picked up by someone who, wants to uh, flirt with me or, or anything like that because I was married, hello, but I was young. I was only 21, you know, so it was like, um, 
And I knew that was a, a weakness in me, and so I would pray continually that that would never happen, and it never did. Thank you, Jesus. You know, and um, and all those things. You know, whatever our temptation is, <laughs> that we that God just protect me from it until I grow, until I get strong, until I'm a, I'm an overcomer, and then it won't even be a temptation. I'll just crush it. <laughs> so that was my prayer, and it worked. Okay, and yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer. It's a good way to stay in love with God. I mean, you know, if, if you get bored with God, it's not because he's boring. It's just because you haven't pushed into new territory. You know, and so that, uh, you know, my prayer is God... Deliver me from whatever is holding me. So, okay, so I, I started this story that I would pray through this, and I, I, would, I would time myself. I'd do like about 10 minutes per section, and then I would get down to the end. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And, uh, and so, but God knew there were things in my heart that still needed to be healed. So I would finish before I finished my walk. Maybe I walked faster on the way out than I walked on the way back. I don't know. But I would, I'd end up with these 10 minutes. And I remember this happened one time, but it, it, things like this happened many times. I, I was walking, and I looked at a, at a bank sign that had a time and a temperature on it, and it said, you know, it was uh, 6, I don't know, 6.50. And it was minus two degrees Fahrenheit, which is about minus 18 uh, Celsius, maybe, maybe not that low, maybe minus 12 Celsius, 15, 16. But, and so, and I look at that, and I'm in this total strange city where I don't know anybody, where everything to me, especially in the winter, seemed really ugly. And now I think it's beautiful, but... Um, and and I remember one day I saw the sign and I said, oh, wow, it's like 3.50 a.m. in California. And I thought, my friends, the ones that, you know, <laughs> misunderstood us and judged us and said a lot of things that later weren't relevant, you know, but I would have the thought that, okay, my friend is in his bed, his fire is burning in his stove, the house is warm. He has all his firewood for the winter. His horses are outside his house in their pen. And their life is great. And I'm, I'm in this strange town living in a really ugly house. We, we sold this house. That was part of why we moved to Pennsylvania that I had built myself. It was really cute and it was in a beautiful place. And I had always lived in a beautiful place. And my wife grew up in San Francisco in a beautiful part of San Francisco right over the cliffs over the ocean outside of the Golden Gate Bridge just gore, you know very so we had both we had always and then we lived in Sa the Santa Cruz Mountains which were really beautiful and redwood trees and and even though we you know we were poor hippies we just found really pretty places to live you know and now we're in this really ugly place in this really ugly apartment 
and out our, out our window we see tanks, big tanks of oil that, you know, in a railroad track. And, and these people that helped us told us, yeah, this is a really nice place. So we signed a contract. And when we got there, we thought like, oh, God, you know. And so I would have all these feelings and I would just feel the pain again of what seemed like betrayal. Not necessarily that it was, but that's how I experienced it. And I would, I would like be, I would revisit that trauma, and I had to forgive. And I'd just say, God, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive my friend Steve. I, I bless him. I, I want him to prosper. I want him to be blessed. He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't do it on purpose. And, and, and then I'd be better. And then it would happen again, and it would happen again, and it would happen again of something else that somebody different said to us or did, did toward us or took from us. And, and I would be traumatized again, and I would just have to, you know, I would just work it out through forgiveness. And the amazing thing is that when you forgive, this is in your brain, when you forgive and you speak blessing over someone who's hurt you, it changes your history. Now, this is like supernatural, that your forgiveness changes your past. So it no longer has a hold on you. It just shrivels up and, be, and loses all its power and the pain. Well, and... But they, they, and so I had to change my identity from I'm wounded, I'm traumatized, I've been treated unjustly, I've been betrayed, to my identity is like, God, I don't understand it, but I'm here and you're here. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to live my life in the will of God. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not, and I'm going to give thanks. And Doing this, all this is a creative prayer. Like what you're, what you're doing is you're co-creating with God the world that you're going to live into, that, that you know you're going to enter into, and you're going to live in. Does that make sense to you? It's very powerful. So, it, I mean, this isn't like metaphysics that you just can imagine a better world and live in it, but. The word of God coming out of your mouth is as powerful as the word of God coming out of God's mouth. That, that's a really bold statement. And it, but it doesn't look like it and it doesn't feel like it until it starts manifesting. And so we came to this city where we didn't know anybody and where... Um, People had really, you know, it was a different culture. And California culture is superficially friendly. I, I'll say that. Like, everybody's like, hey, how you doing? Ha, ha. You know, like, you know, and it's very, it feels so friendly until you find out that it's only friendly on the surface, you know, and every, they've got a low front fence but a very high back fence. And so you can go to, um, you know, some cities like Los Angeles or San Francisco and you think like, oh, this is great. Everybody's so friendly, especially if you're from a place where people are more reserved. 
But then you find out everybody's super busy and nobody really needs any more friends. And so, you know, even though they're all saying, hi, hi, you know, my hometown, everybody walked down the street and I'll go, hi, hi, you know, wave and smile and say hi. And on the East Coast, everybody's like, why, why'd you do that? <laughs> it's just a different culture. It, in California, when, if, if, say you're in an elevator, uh, in a hotel, and the maid brings her cart in, and she'll kind of smile, and you go, sorry, haha, and it just, it's just this, doesn't have a lot of depth to it, so I remember when I moved to the East Coast, I'm with these guys from New Jersey, and we're in a conversation, and I, I said, oh, sorry, and they're like, what'd you do wrong, you know, because they wouldn't say they're sorry for something like that. They would just say, move over. You know, it's a different cultures. So this is really painful to us. But as, you know, just in our pain and getting there, and this it was just my practice. It's still my practice for all these years. It's not legalism. It's just like structure. And that the things I prayed for happened in our city. It happened, not just, like, I was just trying to survive. I wasn't trying to change the city. I was just hoping my marriage would survive and my kids wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't end up as orphans or having their parents in prison for attempted murder of each other or, you know, and, and all of these things unfolded as this is how you fight the good fight. You know, you just... You keep speaking the promises of God. You keep speaking the goodness.